Hello, and welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thank you for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or a review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you could share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds on your end can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can also now help support the Cubs PS Plus podcast by going to cubspsplus.patreon.com. There are four support tiers that come with added perks, such as access to a private Discord discussion group, access to bonus episodes, merchandise discounts in the merch store that will launch in the coming weeks, and the ability to submit priority questions ahead of time for interview guests and more. Your support will help me keep this podcast ad-free. Hello, and welcome to episode 36. This week I talk about the Cubs' luck, I talk about run differential, and what the run differential the Cubs are posting means for their playoff chances. Stay with me as we talk through winning in the margins, where the Cubs can make improvements, and just what the run differential says about their chances to make the playoffs. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. Hello, Cub fans. It was great to see the Cubs get a win last night against the Cardinals after dropping the first two games again close and late like they've done so many times in recent play. The Cubs are clearly an improved team over last year. And I think, you know, the first month was really good. I think we all got really excited. The team put some beatings on people. They got out to a quick start. Not quite as quick as the Pirates, but even though the Cubs have struggled, they haven't come plummeting back to earth like the Pirates either. So that's a positive. When you look at this team overall, I think I think we're all pretty happy with generally how the team looks. I think the problem is it's been super frustrating, especially recently. Um with the amount of close games that they've lost. So when you look at the Cubs, they're 18 and 19, I think two and a half games out of first place. They're hanging right there in the race where you want them to be, but they could be better. And so today I'm going to talk about run differential and I'm going to talk about how all that plays into quote unquote luck. It's kind of a measurable luck. It's not exactly luck is kind of, when you look at some of the expected win probabilities that some of the sites put out there, um, Fangraphs has it. Baseball Reference has it. The Cubs are currently 18 and 19. Based on their peripheral numbers, the amount of runs they've scored, what they've given up, strength of schedule that they've played, park factors, the Cubs would be expected to be about 23 and 14. And that's a big difference. Um, so that plays into luck. So in some ways, you could look at the Cubs and say they've been unlucky this year. They've played well enough to potentially win you know, 20-plus ball games, and they're stuck at 18, and they're a game under 500. But what really plays into luck is where they're strong and where they're weak. And what we see with the Cubs is I'm going to kind of wrap this episode around run differential. So run differential on the one hand can look a little silly in a small sample size because, you know, the Cubs had a run differential in the series against the Cardinals of plus two, but they lost two out of three because they lost two games each by two runs. Then they won the last game by six. What that shows, though, and when and the numbers play out for the Cubs, is when you look at that, those numbers, what you want to do is you want to not get blown out very many times, and you want to be in a lot of close games. And the reason we kind of tie it to luck is that in the, in a close game, in a 2-1 to ball game, in a 3-2 to ball game, in a 4-2 to game where a couple runs are scored late, any kind of luck factor 
does can directly play into the outcome. You know, that ground ball that yeah, just barely gets past the infielder's glove or that bloop pop fly that just gets over Horner's head, maybe falling into shallow right field. That ball that lands just fair instead of just foul. Or the other day, um, Tucker Barnhart had a line drive down the line that I think was fair. The ump's called foul. Um, those kinds of things can play into it when the game is that tight. So when you look at the Cubs record, again, they're, they're 18 and 19 overall. When you talk about blowout wins, and Fangraphs defines blowout as a run different or a margin of five runs or more, the Cubs are now nine and two in blowouts. So the Cubs are not getting blown out very often. They had uh, I'm trying to think back. They had one against the Dodgers. They lost nine to four, and I'm blanking on the other one. But there were, there was one more. Um, you know, last year extra inning games were a problem. They had a horrendous record, especially in the first half in extra inning games. This year they they've had two. They're one and one. Um, it's frustrating to lose the one that they lost because the, that was a game they had many, many, many chances to win. But when you look at one-run games, that's where they're falling down, one-run and two-run games. The Cubs are 2-8 and eight in one-run games, and they're 2-4 and four in two-run games. So combined, they're 4-12 and 12 in games decided by two runs or less. And I see a lot of stuff in the social media world, online, saying just, they're losing these games because the bullpen sucks. Well, the simple reality is the Cubs do have a bit of a late-inning bullpen problem. They don't have that closer identified. They've fallen down in tie games late, um, and that's not great. But it's hard for me to watch the Cubs lose 2-1, to one, as they've done a couple times this year, and say, man, everything else is great, but this bullpen is garbage because it's just not true. That's not how it works. It may have been the bullpen that leaves that final taste in your mouth. It maybe was the bullpen that gave up that last run. But you're just not going to win many games at all, scoring one run, scoring two runs, scoring three runs. And we look, um, so when we look at run differential overall, the Cubs are piling up to run differential right now because they're winning some of those blowout games. So you go blow teams out, you stack up a big positive, and then when you lose, you lose by one or two. So it doesn't hurt the run differential that much. So is it meaningful? Well, it is and it isn't. So I went back and dug through the previous 10 full seasons going back to 2012. I did. I dropped the 2020 season with a small 60-game schedule. It just it wasn't going to play into any kind of meaningful analysis for run differential. When you look at run differential, where look at teams that had run differentials of 100 runs or more. It's happened 66 times since 2012. Almost 95.5% of those teams have made the playoffs. 63 out of 66. If you look at 90 plus run differential, you know, 93% of those teams make the playoffs. Even at 80%, 91 and a quarter percent make the playoffs. It falls down a little bit after that. You know, if you're a positive run differential team, 71% of teams with a positive run differential have made the playoffs over the last 10 seasons. So the Cubs are putting themselves in a position to contend for the playoffs. I think one thing the Cubs need to watch out for, though, is when you do look at those teams that have high run differentials but don't make the playoffs, not in all cases, but in a lot of cases, you can point to those one-run games as being part of the problem. So the the last team to have a run differential of more than 100 and not make the playoffs actually had the most run differential over the last 10 years and didn't make the playoffs. The 2021 Blue Jays went 91 and 71. 
They had a run differential of 183. Um, they really weren't terrible in one-run games. They were 15 and 15, but they finished fourth in their division and they missed the wild card by one game. Now, in today's playoff structure, the Blue Jays would have made the playoffs. The AL East took both wild card spots, and had there been three, they would have taken all three. So, in some ways, they were a little bit unlucky. But when you look at the Jays from 2021, they were 15 and 15 in one run games, and they were 31 and 15 in blowouts. So, again, they piled up a lot of run differential in blowout games and just weren't quite good enough. Now, that's a bit of an aberration kind of year because it's not every year that, you know, four teams from one division would be potentially lined up to make the playoffs. Although, who knows, the AL East might be there again this year. A couple other examples. The 2012 Rays had a run differential of 120. They went 90 and 72 in 2012. They were 7 and 6 in walk-off games. They were 15 and 10 in shutouts. But when you look at one-run games, they were 21 and 27. So this is a team that was 18 games over 500, but 6 under in one-run games. They were 24 and 11 in blowouts. You look at the 2019 Guardians, and they were they had a run differential of 112. Those are the three teams with run differentials north of 100 that didn't make the playoffs over the last 10 full seasons. And that Guardians team, very similar to the Rays, they were 7-6 and six in walk-offs, 16-14 in shutouts, but they were 15-16 and 16 in one-run games. So they weren't quite as bad as the others, but again, they were 93-69, and 69, so they were 24 games over 500, but you're under 500 in one-run games, and that's what wound up costing you. Because those teams that don't make it, you win 90 games, 93 games, and don't make the playoffs – you didn't miss the, miss the playoffs by much. So it's those margins that matter. And when we look at this, you know, I went back through all the teams kind of playing into this luck factor. So who are the teams that over and underperformed expectations over that span of time? And, you know, overall, there were 53 teams that outplayed their expected wins by four wins or more over those 10 years. And 41 of those were quite good in one-run games. And there were 60 teams that underperformed by four games or more, and almost 82% of those teams were bad in two-run games. So a few examples that stand out. Um, we'll look at last year. The Guardians overperformed by four games, and they were 28-17 and 17 in one-run games. The Twins, on the flip side, missed the playoffs and probably should have been better than they were. They were four games under what they would have been expected to win, and they went 20-28 and 28 in in uh, one-run games. I'm going to call out a couple examples of some teams, both on the good side and the bad side, over over this 10-year span. So in 2021, the Mariners outperformed their expected wins by 14 games. Um, and when it came down to one-run games, they were 33-19. and 19. So it's pretty clear where that 14... It, the 14 games didn't come all from the one-run games. But being that good in close situations, having, in some cases, probably the luck go your way... Um, probably also having a strong bullpen, all those things help. Um, I'll save a, the Cubs are in here twice, one good, one bad. I'll save those for the end. Again, in 2018, the Mariners were 12 games above their expected wins, and they went 36 and 21 in one-run games. In the same year, the Washington Nationals kind of floundered out of the playoff race late, and they underperformed their expected wins by eight games, and they were 18 and 24 in one-run games. Like those teams have to be better. So the Cubs have a good and a bad here. So the bad was 2019. We all know what happened that year. The Cubs just couldn't get it done late, missed the playoffs for what wound up being the only time between 2015 and 
2020 that they did miss the playoffs. And the Cubs underperformed their expected wins by six games, and they were 14 and 18 in close games. They, In that case, I think that year was a little bit less on the pitching staff and more on the offense. The That was the, quote, the offense is broken year that led to the DFA or the non-tendering of Kyle Schwarber and – I don't know, the the beginning of the downhill from there. But 2015, so I see a lot of comparisons between, I see a lot of people comparing this season and 2015. And optimistically, I think we all want that to be there. And so far, there there are some comps, but both teams kind of started, you know, we remember that 2015 team as winning 97 games, beating Pittsburgh in the playoffs and making a run. But that team did not start out that way. That team started out very streaky. They would win five in a row and lose six of seven and win eight of 11 and drop four straight. Like they were really feeling themselves out for a while because they did have a number of young players coming up, trying to find their roles, trying to find the right batting orders. The Cubs burned through a number of players. There were some players that were DFA'd and they made trades and the bullpen had to kind of settle into roles. But then the second half they got, they really got hot. And that 2015 team, the Cubs outperformed their expected wins by seven games and they were 34 and 21 in close games. And a lot of that is, well, it was a combination. They did have a good bullpen that year by the end of the year. I mean, they, they traded, made a couple trades at the deadline, brought some arms in, but they had Hector Rondon and they had Pedro Strope. They had Carl Edwards Jr. starting to come up. Um, that, was a, that was a good team and it showed in the margins. So when you look at this year, the Cubs are currently projected, the Cubs are currently tied for fourth in baseball. They're tied with the Dodgers um, and they're on pace for a run differential of 210. Now, some of that's skewed. We're still in very much, I say this every episode, but we're still in small sample size territory. So a couple big blowouts is just going to skew that number. Like they jumped, I had done the math yesterday before the putting up 10 against the Cardinals, they were projected for 189 run differential and now they're at 210. So, one or two games at this point can skew the numbers quite a bit, but the numbers still hold. So even before the 10 run outburst yesterday, they were projected for 189. And that's well, I mean, that's above the 189 is above the Toronto team that didn't make the playoffs. So the Cubs are now projecting to be in a run differential territory where there would be very high expectations to make the playoffs. And so, so what do the Cubs do when they're looking at that kind of those luck factors you know, where are they going to squeeze out that difference? And I think right now, as a fan, you get invested game by game. And the early part of the season when the Cubs were playing better baseball, everything seemed great. Like, we could see some holes in the roster. I know there were frustrations. People wanted Mervis up, and they wanted Christopher Morell up, and more Nelson Velasquez. But the team was performing. The Cubs got off to a very quick start in terms of pretty much everything on offense. I mean, Dansby Swanson was hot and he's never hot in April. They had everybody going and they had really good numbers with runners in scoring position. And when you look at it now on the whole, the Cubs numbers are quite good. When you look at the Cubs numbers on the season so far, you know, they're, they're top 10 in walk percentage. They're top half in lowest K rate, which is a huge upgrade over last year. When you look at WRC plus the Cubs are sixth. They have it. They're tied for fifth. Actually, they have a team WRC plus of one twelve. When you take that down to even the last two weeks, when the Cubs have not been playing great ball, the team WRC plus is still you know right in the middle of the pack in baseball. Their WRC plus over the last 
14 days is 104. So just a tick above league average. So the Cubs are still producing. The problem is it's those margins. It's the combination of a game where the Cubs don't score many runs and it's one-to-one late, and then the bullpen gives up something in the eighth or the ninth. The Cubs can't come back. It's a taking a, a start from Marcus Stroman where he's going to throw six or seven innings. The Cubs only get him a run or two of support, and maybe he gives up three or he gives up two and leaves behind or he leaves tied, and then the bullpen gives something up. The Cubs, I've talked about this on previous episodes, right now the Cubs are the Cubs are playing in a way that puts pressure on the bullpen to be perfect, and the bullpen right now is taking the brunt of it. And there have been struggles. I think the Cubs do have sort of a, a late or ninth inning bullpen problem. It's not showing itself in blown saves. This isn't a case where the Cubs are taking four to three, four to two, five to three leads into the ninth and giving up three runs and losing those leads. The Cubs are in one to one games and two to two games and three to three games where they're down two to one and they're throwing it to the bullpen and they're putting the position, the bullpen in a position where the bullpen basically has to be perfect. It's basically go be perfect. I, I've seen after both the Cubs two to one losses and three, two losses that basically that entire Marlin series in Miami, you go on social media, you read the accounts of the game and everything seems to point to the bullpen sucks. And yeah, the bullpen didn't get it done late and Michael Fulmer has had his issues. Brad Boxberger has been frankly a bit of a mess. Keegan Thompson got away with a ton of walks earlier in the season and now he's not getting away with that so much, but it's not just on the off or not just on the bullpen. The, the offense can't be putting the pitching staff in a position where the Cubs only have one run going into the ninth. You're just not going to win those games. So on the plus side, so as, as awful as this has felt, it's actually a really good problem to have. So the Cubs have shown so far through almost 40 games that the Cubs are going to consistently be in a position where they can win baseball games late. Now, they haven't done it often enough at this point but they're not getting blown out. This is not last year when the Cubs were, especially in the first half of the season, just getting their doors blown off by teams. That's not, that's just not happening. The Cubs played the Dodgers. They lost four out of seven. They did get blown out once, but pretty much they, they played the Dodgers toe to toe. The Cubs blew the Dodgers out once too. They beat the, they won the series with the Padres. You know, they've, they've played good ball. So, where you look at is is the margins. And it's not even one glaring error. Like this this isn't a dumpster fire of a bullpen. This isn't an offense that's not scoring any runs at all. So this is a case where you need to get a little more from the offense. You need to get a little more from the bullpen. So they need to continue to work on those bullpen rolls. So the Cubs just need to get a little bit better in the margins really across the board. And there are a lot of ways to do that. I mean, hitting is very streaky, you know, game like yesterday bats get going guys see other guys hit pitchers get a bit whether they get flustered or they just you know they don't have their stuff and the cubs can pile on and sometimes with hitting you know a guy's in a huge slump and he gets some stupid little blue pit that just squirts out over the second baseman's glove and all of a sudden he saw a ball hit the ground in the outfield and that's what sets him off um other times you know i say it a lot but guys are cold until they're not and guys are hot until they're not and we've seen a lot of times with this Cubs team, and really we see it with the Cubs. We tend to look at it as a problem with the Cubs, and it has been to some extent. that They have been a very streaky offensive team. But that's also kind of how baseball works. I've seen the same thing with my kids in Little League. I've seen the same thing with my 
oldest kid in travel ball. I've seen the same thing in high school. I see the same thing sometimes when I'm watching college baseball. Like hitting can be very contagious and good play can be very contagious. And when certain guys get hot, and it, it really has a, tan, a tangible effect. So if Nico Horner is consistently getting on base, which he's been doing when he, before he pulled his hamstring the other day, when he's consistently getting on base, now the pitcher has to deal early in the game with somebody on base, and you've got Dansby Swanson and Ian Happ coming up. And then Dansby and Happ have both been doing a really good job of increasing their walk rates this year. They've been very picky at the plate. They've been helping run up pitchers pitch counts. They've been making the pitchers work and doing this when Nico's on base, you know, sets them up. They've, so they've, there've been a lot of runs scored this year when Horner gets on base early, maybe he steals, maybe Swanson hits a double or Ian Happ, you know, drives something in the gap. And then they've, you know, they've kind of played around with the middle part of the order. Sometimes it's been wisdom and Saya hitting, you know, four five. Sometimes it's been Cody Bellinger, Patrick wisdom. Sometimes it's been, unfortunately Eric Hosmer or sometimes Trey Mancini. So they're, they're kind of playing with that. And now Cody Bellinger's off to a really good start this season. So the deeper that lineup gets, the better the Cubs are should be in, in being able to score runs consistently. And one of the things that hurt them to start the season is they just had dead offensive spots on the roster. Now I don't think they expected them all to be dead, but that was the reality. You know, Torrens never really hit. Edwin Rios didn't get many chances, but when he did, he didn't hit either. Eric Hosmer has really, really struggled this year and probably is playing out the string. I would, at this point, I would be surprised if he's still on the team June one, but um, this, the Cubs do also seem to like him. And I had originally really saw him as being tied to Matt Mervis coming up, but now that Mervis is up and Hosmer's still on the team, that, that tie has clearly been broken. So one does not necessarily impact the other. And, Tucker Barnhart is a kind of an offensive zero and we'll, I'll talk a little about a little bit about him in a minute. Um, but he was brought in for game management and defense. And so I think he's been providing that. I did talk a couple episodes ago, kind of comparing Jan Gomes and Tucker Barnhart. I think one of the biggest differences is just Jan Gomes offense this year. I mean, he's having a really good season and we saw that last night, you know, he came back from the seven day concussion protocol and promptly hit another home run. Um, so he's, really going to get done both offensively and defensively behind the plate. And we saw Miguel Amaya come up. So I know there was some angst yesterday when Amaya got sent back down, but you have to remember. So Amaya is a guy who was one of the Cubs absolute top prospects back in 2019, 2018, 2020. And he was rising fast through the Cubs system, but he has just had injury after injury, after injury, after injury that set him back and that's cost him minor league reps. It's also, you know, it's been what 2017 or 2018 since he played an actual full season of healthy baseball. Um, so I know some people were really getting antsy and wanting the Cubs to, you know, DFA Tucker Barnhart. Well, that would be at this point, as much as I like Amaya, he's got a great defensive reputation through the minor leagues. Um, the pitcher, the pitchers in Chicago were raving about how he was managing the game, um, and he hits the ball hard. Like he had a number of outs actually that were you know 100 mile an hour exit velo plus. And I know some people kind of scoff at the exit velo game because exit velo doesn't guarantee anything. But the more consistently you hit the ball hard, the more consistently you're going to get on base. It just it maybe I'll do a deep dive episode in that one of these upcoming game. Uh, 
one of these upcoming days, but it absolutely correlates. I mean, you hit the ball hard, a, you know, two hop ground ball becomes a one hop ground ball, which gives the infielder less time to get to it. So that tightens up the range, you know, maybe on a 80 mile an hour exit velo ground ball, a shortstop might be able to take three, four steps either direction to cover and get to that ball. With a hard hit ball, you might only get one or two steps. So it tightens up. It creates more holes for the ball to get to the outfield. So I really liked what I saw from Amaya, and I'm very interested in having Amaya up on this team. He's a dynamic bat, and he seems to be a very good catcher. The challenge is the health. You know, can can the Cubs in a season where they're hoping to make the playoffs put, you know, a third a third-ish of their games at catcher into the hands of somebody who has missed just huge amounts of time over the past few years? They could, but it's a gamble. And the problem is if Gomes gets hurt, then you're pushing Amaya into even more playing time. Um, or if Amaya gets hurt, you've let Barnhart go. Now you're looking at Dom Nunez or you're fishing for somebody who's you know not currently in a major league position right now. And the drop-off defensively and game management-wise from from a, the run prevention game standpoint from Tucker Barnhart could be pretty substantial. So I think for the moment the Cubs are doing the right thing. Amaya's never – he's never played AAA baseball. The Cubs called him up straight from AA, and now he'll have a chance to go back to Iowa and get some AAA reps. And, you know, if he stays healthy and keeps pushing, then the margin – the risk margin of an injury gets less and less as the year goes on. So – if he continues to mash baseballs and he continues to play good defense and Tucker Barnhart continues to struggle offensively and the Cubs continue to need more in the margins, then at some point, you know, in a month or two, maybe they do make the decision to move on and, and pull Amaya up or just bring Amaya up as a third catcher and let him be a bat off the bench. Um, they have options. And I think that plays into overall what I think the Cubs have been looking at. The Cubs have moved guys around in the bullpen and they have, moved guys around the roster. They've made changes. They let Luis Torrens go. Um, he was traded to Baltimore for cash considerations after being designated for assignment. I saw he was then subsequently DFA'd from Baltimore. Um, they sent Edwin Rios down. They've had Nelson Velasquez up and down a couple times. They've had Javier Assad up, up and down a couple times. They've made the move on Mancini, uh, on, uh, Mervis. Matt Mervis is now up in Chicago. And he's off to a pretty good start. I mean, we're going to see some strikeouts from him. There is absolutely a difference between AAA pitching and major league pitching, but this is where he needs to be, where he needs to be. Unless he struggles tremendously, I expect him to start four to five days a week, um, probably at first base, make it a game or two here at DH. And I expect them to push. And if, you know, he's, he's got to learn, he's got to adjust. Um, he'll hit some guys hard and then the league will have a book on him They'll and then he'll have to counter adjust. I mean, that happens with every good young player that comes up. I like that they've made the move to pull Christopher Morell up. You know, in two games, he's hit a home run, had a couple hits in an RBI double yesterday. I mean, he's, he's a walking vibe. I mean, he just has so much energy, so much fun to watch. His personality is so infectious. He's a really good baseball player. The one thing to watch with Morrell, and the reason why I was okay with him being in AAA to start the season was that strikeout rate. Last year, he struck out north of 30% for the full season, but by the last month of the season, he was striking out more like 40% of the time. And I think with Christopher Morrell's game, with his power, his speed, he can probably play at 30% strikeout rate, but you start getting up close to 40, and that's just not 
it's just not sustainable. There's just too many big spots you're going to be up and guys are going to get you a swing and miss. Um, so hopefully that's something that, you know, Christopher Morrell's walk rate in the minors was up substantially over anything he had done previously. So let, hopefully that's stuck. If not, he could always go back down again. But I like that the Cubs are playing in the margins. So teams change. And so the Cubs were a little bit short offensively. They had a few too many holes. There were too many times, frankly, where Cosmer has been first base or DH and batting fifth or sixth. Um, Patrick Wisdom is an interesting case. Like he's a guy who coming into the season I thought should be basically a platoon. You know, he should start against every lefty. And we saw him homer off a really tough lefty yesterday in Montgomery. He should start against every lefty and play against some righties, some righties that throw to reverse splits. Um, have Morel in there or have wisdom in there. He has a ton of power. Um, but again, he's going to strike out a lot and his strikeouts are going to go up significantly if he's playing, playing against tough right-handers. So the other thing you have to watch with wisdom is there are times where he just gets just absolutely blistering hot. And when he's that hot, like we saw for a stretch earlier this season for about six or seven games, he will hit anything from anybody. So when he's in that stretch, ride it out. Let him play against some righties then because he's freaking scorching hot. But then as he cools off and comes back to more the norms, then you know he's got to go back to playing mostly against lefties. It's all about putting guys in position to succeed. It's not that you might miss homers from wisdom. It's like, no, he's facing a right-hander today that gets a lot of swing and miss. It's not the great greatest matchup for wisdom. So, you know, last year Christopher Morrell hit to reverse splits. We'll see what he does this year, see if that's – if that's actually a thing for him or if that was just the way last year's numbers worked out. But, you know, let's get those favorable matchups and give guys the best opportunity to win. And that's that may mean that some days, why is Mancini at first base instead of Mervis? Or why is Nick Madrigal at third base? Or, you know, they're doing their best to put those best matchups in play and you want to keep guys fresh. Now, I do think... I would like to see the outfielders getting a little bit more, a little bit more of a break. Um, I would love to see, I think Hosmer is probably the next one to go, but I would love to see um, Nelson Velasquez find a way back up here and get a couple starts a week. But for right now, that's probably the Christopher Morrell role. He'll probably play. Well, right now he'll probably play second base until Nico comes back. And then when Nico's back, Morrell can go back to being kind of either that super sub or he can take, you know, maybe a third of the play at third base. Um, a lot of options with him. I think you want that bat and that presence in the lineup. But trying to fill those holes and trying to have the fewest amounts of sort of dead outs in the lineup. We saw that last year. Early in the season, there were too many games where you had Jonathan VR, Jason Hayward, Andrelton Simmons... Rafael Ortega all in the same lineup and it's great that you have Horner and Hap having good years and, and say it was off to a quick start but there just wasn't enough in that lineup now when you look at that lineup and the lineup they put out yesterday was very solid against the lefty you know you had Madrigal leading off which I don't necessarily love Madrigal leading off but with Horner out um, probably the only other great candidate is Hap and um, they clearly like him in the three hole and I think he's comfortable there and I think with Ian Happy shown in the past as he has bounced around the lineup or as he's bounced around positions, he didn't play as well. So if you get the best Ian Happ by batting him third and keeping him in left field, let's just keep the best Ian Happ out there. I'm good with that. But they had, you know, 
Madrigal and Dansby, Hap, Seiya Suzuki had a big double last night. Patrick Wisdom was in the lineup. Trey Mancini was in the lineup. You know, Christopher Morrell, Jan Gomes. That lineup is suddenly pretty, looking pretty deep, especially if the kids come up and, and hit. So I think seeing Mervis, seeing Morrell out there is great. Um, so what about the bullpen? Like the bullpen is mostly good. You know, there were some complaints the other day um, when Tyone started, went three innings, and then Assad came in. I think everybody was fine with Assad coming in. That's kind of his role. He stretched out to starter distance, so he can certainly take a game and go, and now he's done it twice in a row very, very well. But there were some people scratching their heads about him starting the ninth. Well, I guess Alzelay and Leiter have been good, but there's really nobody that's established themselves as, oh, yeah, you got to go to that guy in the ninth inning. And so I was looking at it as Assad being effectively a starter. He had pitched five innings, and he had pitched well. He had a really short and clean fifth inning, so for the eighth inning of the game, the fifth inning for him. And his pitch count was pretty manageable. So I was all for him going out. He gave up one run. Maybe it was two. I can't remember. Um, But, you know, in retrospect, you know, maybe they should have gone somewhere else. But that's one thing, you know, as, as as we look at this and want to look at where to put blame or where to, you know, whether we complain about David Ross or not, and I'm, this is not going to be a defensive Ross. They're, you know, you hit Hosmer fifth as DH right now. You're asking for problems because if you got to put Hosmer in the lineup, fine, but, you know, hit him lower. But I see a lot of people looking at, well, that didn't work, therefore it was a bad decision that's not really how baseball works. I mean, you can have, if you want to run that logic to its extreme, then if Dansby Swanson goes over four and doesn't do anything spectacular in the field, then you could say, well, it was a mistake to put him in the lineup that day. Well, it's, it's not baseball is a failure game. So you give yourself the best opportunity in the margins to win. And sometimes those decisions don't come, don't work out. You know, Edwin Diaz last year with the Mets, he was probably the best closer in baseball, certainly top two or three. He blew some saves. Doesn't mean those days the Mets made a mistake in going to him. So the Cubs right now don't have a bullpen with a clear set hierarchy. I think Michael Fulmer has rebounded to give up a run, one run earlier this week. But really, except for those two games against the Dodgers and that one homer that Jared Kelenic hit, who's been having a fantastic year this year. Fulmer's been pretty good. I expect him to be pretty good most of the way. Now, is he going to be successful as a closer? I mean, that's where he's kind of had his spots. He actually hasn't – I guess he, he blew one save against the Dodgers. But, again, that was a, a bullpen sucks situation where the Cubs took a one nothing lead in the ninth. So it's basically the whole rest of the team said, hey, Michael Fulmer, you got to go be perfect in the ninth and we're not going to win this game. So that is on Fulmer to some extent, but when you give your pitching staff one run to work with – you know, you're not exactly setting yourself up for success. So the other thing with this team is trade. So the Cubs have shown that they'll move a roster. They DFA'd a bunch of guys last year. They tried guys out, didn't work, move on. And we're seeing the same trend this year. I think fans just get frustrated because it's not all happening fast enough, I think. I think a lot of us could agree that Hosmer probably should be gone. But I said before the season I thought he'd get six weeks. And that's basically where we are that's where we'll be basically Monday. Um, and now they, they may give him two months. But I, I think one of the reasons why I think we're seeing him play 
as much as he's playing is I think the is I think the front office has some sort of a target sample size they want in order to make cuts. And if, if you look around at the cuts in baseball, basically every year, unless somebody has off the field issues or whatever, um, you don't typically see guys with a proven any level of proven track record of success TFA in the first three, four, five weeks. It just doesn't happen. You sign a guy, even if you get a guy who can be a bench bat like Hosmer, but is struggling, they're typically going to get a couple months because of that past track record. Now, someone like a uh, Luis Torrens, you know, doesn't have that track record. So, you know, he got cut at three or four weeks, but guys like Hosmer typically don't. And if you go back and look through the transaction wires over the last several seasons, that's what you're going to see. You're not going to see very many big names DFA'd in April. You're not even going to see very many big names DFA'd in May. But once you start getting into June, July, after that, moves start to happen. So the Cubs are doing that. Also, you have to remember their trades. So teams often don't end the same team that they started with. Sometimes maybe you have expectations, maybe you don't. But if you're not contending by July, you wind up in a sell-off mode. You know, the Cubs started 2021 with Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo and Javier Baez and Andrew Chafin and all those guys. And then by the end of the season, they were gone because the Cubs lost 11 games in a row and went into sell-off mode. And sometimes you're the team that's acquiring guys. Sometimes, you know, the, I remember the 2003 Cubs, all of a sudden they picked up Randall Simon and Aramis Ramirez and Kenny Lofton and a couple pitchers. You can change the profile of your team. And so I think that's where the Cubs are headed this year. And if the Cubs keep this run differential up to kind of take it back to the original topic, the Cubs are going to be competitive. They're going to be... I think they're going to hang around 500 for a good chunk of the season. There, there will be down stretches. Obviously, they're seven and 13 in their last 20, but they're going to come back and at some point they're going to win six out of seven, you know, ten out of 12, and then they'll probably lose six of eight again. I mean, this that's kind of how this team is built. They're going to stay, I think, right around 500, and we'll see what happens after they get through the this kind of the tough early schedule, get through the All Star break, it in July, you know. If they're contending, and I expect them to be, if this run differential stays up, um, they're going to have the ability to add guys. I, I don't think they're going to go crazy in adding guys. I don't think this is this isn't quite a team that would be expected to make a deep run in the playoffs and contend for a World Series. But you can certainly the Cubs have enough prospect depth to go pick up a couple bullpen arms. Um, I don't. We'll, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, they stay healthy. Knock on wood. But right now, the starting rotation looks great, and Kyle Hendricks is on the way back. The bullpen is going to get Cody Hoyer probably around June 1st. And the Cubs also have a number of arms in the minors that are looking like they're pretty ready to go if the Cubs can clear roster spots and, and get them up. So there's a lot of opportunity to add talent here, which can definitely help in these sort of margin games. Is very painful to watch. Um, the one thing I don't expect to see, I've seen some talk lately about trading Marcus Stroman, trading Cody Bellinger. Um, or extending Cody Bellinger. And I, I think Carter Hawkins talked about this the other day. He was asked about extending Cody Bellinger. And that's a tough spot right now. So he's had a great start to the season. He's looking maybe not quite MVP level, but certainly, you know, top tier potential free agent on the market in the offseason. And the Cubs have him right now. And there is a temptation to say, well, shoot, if he's going to play like this, let's lock him up because he's, you know, he's shown he can do it. There's risk in that given his performance the last couple of years, but also like he's going to be expensive. Um, if if he 
plays the way he's playing right now all season, he's easily looking at $20, $25 million per year in free agency, probably looking at at least a five- or six-year deal. And this would be at a time when you already have Ian Happ and, say, a Suzuki locked up for another three to four years at the corner outfield spots, and you have a number of, you know, what, five of the Cubs' top 10 to 15 prospects are outfielders. And a couple of them are knocking at the door. I mean, PCA is in double A right now. And we've shown Miguel Amaya, Christopher Morrell. Like we, when you're in double A, you're within range of a call up. So, you know, he could potentially, PCA could potentially be starting in center field next year. He could be up getting some time later this season. <coughs> There's Nelson Velasquez. Um, Owen Casey is killing it in double A. So there are just so many options that, I don't know if it makes sense to sign him, but I I do think unless unless the Cubs really just fall apart, it makes no sense to trade him. After the past couple of years where the Cubs have basically given up midseason, they've traded away all their all their stars. If the Cubs are hovering around five hundred, they're in contention. Maybe they don't add a ton, but I don't think you can sub- subtract from this team. That would just be the worst kind of messaging to fans. And I know you could probably trade Cody Bellinger and get a pretty good haul for him. Same with Marcus Stroman, who's expected to opt out of his contract at the end of the season. But you just can't give up chances to win. And if the Cubs are going to talk as much as they talk this offseason about trying to compete and trying to put a team together that could compete in the division, compete for a wild card, get back to the playoffs, being anywhere in the ballpark of 500 midseason and then selling off Cody Bellinger and Marcus Stroman, like, what are you even doing? Um, Just don't. If that means Cody Bellinger walks and you get a comp pick, okay. We did it with Wilson Contreras. We can do it with Cody Bellinger. It's not all about maximizing guys in terms of prospects. Sometimes, you know, somebody would say, well, we can't let Cody Bellinger go and get nothing back for him. Well, what we're getting back for Cody Bellinger is the fact that he's competing for us and um, having a great season and trying to help the Cubs win. That's what you pay these guys for. If it all falls apart and the Cubs are... 12 games out of a terrible division and their run differential is plummeted and they're just getting pounded by teams. Sure. If Cody Bellinger is still having a good year, then maybe you do trade him off, but that's certainly not the direction I want to go. So I guess going forward over the next few weeks, keep an eye on that run differential. Hopefully the Cubs can start switching this up in the uh, close game department. You know, I'd love to see them get up closer to 500 and one run games and maybe eventually, move up more. They do have to shore up the bullpen. I think they need to continue looking at the offense and seeing how they can get maximum production, especially on those days when you're facing tough pitching and runs are few and far between. But there's a lot to like about this team. And right now the Cubs are putting up numbers that give them a pretty good chance to make the playoffs. And I talked about last year, uh, two weeks ago, the uh, playoff odds fan graphs, the Cubs are significantly higher in terms of playoff possibilities than they were at the start of the season. And I think a lot of that is a lot of that's the starting pitching, um, you know, the, the various projection systems, the fan graphs and all those didn't necessarily project the Cubs with a super strong pitching staff. And a lot of it is, you know, Justin Steele as good as he was the second half last year, missed a lot of time. Marcus Stroman didn't have his best year. Um, Drew Smiley missed a ton of time, but these are guys who can pitch and Justin Steele right now is pitching like an ace. Marcus Stroman is pitching like an ace. Um, Maybe not a true like top 15 in baseball level ace, but literally like a number two for almost every team in baseball. Um, Tyone's had his struggles, but I think he'll be fine. He's got to work through this injury and get back into a routine. 
but Drew Smiley's been largely excellent. Hayden Wisniewski looks a little bit better every start. Um, Kyle Hendricks the other day at Iowa threw five innings, scoreless, two hits, no walks, four Ks, and uh, really kind of looked like the Hendricks of old. So if that's happening, we've got Ben Brown. He struck out 10 in a start at Iowa yesterday. He just looks electric right now. He's flown up through the Cubs system since the Cubs traded for him last year from uh, for David Robertson, from traded him to the Phillies for David Robertson. So there's a lot to like. There are a lot of arms coming. There are a lot of arms right on the verge. And so the Cubs are have those pieces to play in the margin. So look for them to continue doing that. Hopefully the next week or two we start to see a bit of a turn in those close games, or maybe they just start blowing people out. That's In the offseason, Jed talked about wanting to blow teams out, and this is why. Because you want to be able to blow teams out, and then when you don't score quite as much, you're still in a game. You're not getting, you know, last year the problem was they just didn't have enough talent, and there was nothing the team was going to be able to do during the season to change that enough to make the playoffs. And so that's why last year, you know, I had a couple episodes talking about raising the floor. They did raise the floor through the course of the season, but they didn't raise the ceiling very much. And with this team, the Cubs raised the ceiling quite a bit in the offseason. Still not as high as maybe we would have liked, um, but the, again, they continue to raise the floor. But now the potential ceiling is much higher. If Mervis hits, if Morell hits, if Nelson Velasquez comes back and hits, um, Trey Mancini has played really well lately. So if he continues that, Cody Bellinger stays hot. Like There's a lot of upside on this team, and we're seeing a lot of that play out. Hopefully the Cubs can hold their own in this upcoming road trip. they got a tough one going to Minnesota and then to Houston and then to Philly before coming back to play the Mets. So this is going to be a tough stretch, but the Cubs have played well against good teams. So hopefully the Cubs continue to get good pitching, stay in close games. Hopefully they can, you know, win a couple of these series, um, not fall, you know, don't go on any big losing streaks or anything like that. Like hold your own, take a series or two and then come back and, you know, Keep yourself in contention. This this is not a the NL Central this year is not the AL East. This is uh, going to be a very winnable division. Even though the Cardinals just took two or three from the Cubs, they're still they still have one of the worst records in baseball. The Pirates have come crashing down to earth. Milwaukee just can't quite seem to get out of their own way, and the Reds just aren't very good. So I mean this this division is there, and so the Cubs just need to keep playing ball, keep staying in games, and find a way to win them late. Thank you for joining me today. If you liked the discussion, or maybe especially if you didn't, please drop a rating and a review wherever it is you get your podcasts. Or tell a friend about the show. Just a few seconds can give me great feedback and help other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at CubsPSPlus. And check out the Patreon page at CubsPSPlus.Patreon.com to help support the show and keep it ad-free. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!